Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Steve Sokoloff, Managing Partner of Tech Council Ventures, and Daniela Kranjak, Managing Director of Dynamic Capital. Um, Daniela, uh, why don't you start ladies first and then we'll go to Steve. Tell us about your entrepreneurial background and your, your investment experience um, as of today. Sure, happy to. Thanks so much for, for the invitation, Jim. I, I so appreciate being here and, and together with Steve uh, and, and his depth of experience in the space. Um, uh, my background, I'm a chemical engineer. Uh, who ran uh, quickly uh, to the dark side and, and to business development and, and sales and, and um, general management in my career. Had the good fortune to be an entrepreneur uh, really early in my career, basically uh, during, uh, during my senior year at, um, at Stevens Institute here in, uh, in, in Hoboken. And, uh, you know, early on, uh, just sort of caught the entrepreneurial bug. I, uh, I guess from, from that perspective was part of a great uh, growth story, uh, actually in the state of New Jersey, Wave Biotech uh, grew that company up and then exited that to GE Healthcare. Uh, which is now actually part of the Danaher uh, Cytiva business, and uh, went on to take a number of different roles in commercial leadership and operations, uh, but really kept finding that there was a gap in the funding landscape, uh, specifically for life science industrials. Um, most folks don't really know what life science industrials were until, uh, until about a year and a half ago. Uh, so now that everybody is uh, keenly aware of vaccines and, and the benefits that they uh, provide, life science industrials are basically the core critical uh, fundamental technologies that biotech and pharma rely on uh, for, uh, for discovery, for development, for manufacturing. And so my entrance uh, as a, as, or my uh, initiation as an investor is, is kind of securitous. Um, coming from an entrepreneurial background and operating background, and then uh, deciding to establish dynamic capital uh, about uh, three or four years ago and, and getting underway with our first fund. Great, thanks, Daniela. Steve, go ahead. I uh, grew up through mostly corporate innovation. I uh, started, uh, I got a degree in, in uh, math and computer science at Stanford. So back in the sort of early days of the Silicon Valley. And I spent about 15 years in a couple different consulting firms working on problems of corporate innovation and R&D uh, productivity. And uh, that led to me being recruited by Lucent Technologies, which brought me back to New Jersey. I was actually born in New Jersey. And, uh, and uh, Lucent brought me back here uh, to create a venture incubator for Bell Labs. Uh, just after Lucent was formed out of AT&T. So uh, there was a tremendous amount of technology there. Lucent was really interested in uh, venture-style commercialization. And so we established an incubator for the labs. And over about five years, we created about 35 companies out of Bell Labs. So exciting times uh, across a number of different technologies. And then there along came the, the dot-com uh, blow up and telecom downturn in 2000. And so we actually took our team and our portfolio out of Lucent, uh, you know, basically acquired it with backing of some uh, LPs, uh, limited partners, and uh, launched a, a standalone fund focused on commercializing technology out of corporate labs. So I spent uh, the next 15 years running all around the US and Europe partnering with corporates on innovations created internally in their labs or nascent businesses that they didn't see a fit for internally and thought they'd be served better as standalone businesses. And so we would do spin investment, you know, we'd basically stand up and invest in spin out ventures. So I did about 80 of those over the next 15 years, um, all across the US and Europe. And that brought me to a few years ago where um, my partners retired in that fund and I was thinking about uh, what to do next. And I recognize that there's been tremendous amount of change in the venture landscape over the years. 
one of the big changes being that uh, venture is happening everywhere now. It's not just in the Silicon Valley and Boston and other more traditional uh, venture-based geographies. Um, recognize that the Mid-Atlantic region now represents about 20 to 25% of the U.S. venture market. So I don't have to travel to find great entrepreneurs and opportunities. And there's a tremendous industrial base here locally that is interested in, in entrepreneurs and innovators and startups. Uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it was a group of companies on the West Coast and, uh, you know, the tech industry primarily. And now I'd say almost every large company is, you know, very interested in new innovative ideas and working with entrepreneurs and startups. We have a tremendous industrial base here. Um, so I didn't see a reason to have to travel any longer to find uh, great investment opportunities. And timing worked out well that uh, the fund I joined, Tech Council Ventures, had had a successful first fund, was just beginning to raise a second fund. And, uh, and the fund was associated with Tech United, which was uh, the association for the technology industry in New Jersey. And you know, represented about a thousand different uh, corporate and university members. And so it just all added up to a great opportunity for uh, the kind of innovators I was looking for and the, the partnership with corporations in, in developing those innovators. Great, great. Thanks, Steve. So bring us to the current day here. We just have gone through a year and a half since the pandemic started. Um, as we, as you mentioned, Danielle, you've been in sort of a sweet spot, but I think, you know, the need to travel as Steve just referenced is sort of gone away in many ways, right. For at least for the past year and a half. And so where do we see the state of the entrepreneurial community from your perspective? Yeah, I, I'm happy to take a, take a stab at it and, and maybe speak more specifically. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm really niche where we're focused entirely on life sciences and, and that sector. So, you know, if it, if it pertains to tech or, or fintech or something outside of it, I'm, I'm sure Steve is, is more, um, you know, more uh, skilled at, at speaking to that. Um, but in life sciences, I, I think a couple of observations, certainly um, with the start of the pandemic, we saw a couple of different, um, different um, sort of manifestations, right? There, there were your uh, your companies that really were sort of caught in between. Maybe they were planning on raising their next round, and uh, and COVID sort of upended that for them. Uh, that that led to a lot of bridge rounds, a lot of uh, a lot of smaller sort of bridging uh, positions that that became uh, became opportunistic in 2020. But as uh, 2020 went on, I think we saw a, a pretty strong return. Uh, certainly in life sciences, we didn't see a slowdown at all. Um, in fact, we were doing deals uh, with, with folks and really doing all of the diligence and all of, uh, of the requisite work before actually closing the deal uh, without meeting folks uh, all, all via Zoom. Um, I will say one of our last sort of uh, requirements before closing a deal is to be in person and we were managing to, to actually make that work and, and do that um, for, for a lot of those deals at the end of 2020. But certainly those dynamics were, were pretty different for people and getting used to um, a kind of a new norm. I think it did also open up certainly opportunity sets because they were able to see a lot more investors via Zoom and, and sort of test their concepts out, maybe even you know, socialize around the opportunities that before they were ready to go to market. So um, that that's a, a little bit of what we've seen. But I, I you know, I, I think from my general perspective, it's really a great time to be an entrepreneur. It's a great time to start a company. Certainly within life, it's a strong, um, it's a strong sector. We don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Although, um, you know, I'll say funding availability is, is definitely there. Um, there's, there's a strong appetite for investment in life sciences. Uh, in fact, you know, if we're looking at some of the stats from 2020 compared to 2021 year to date, uh, we're on pace uh, already to surpass total funding for 2020. Uh, and 2020 was actually a record year in life science industrials. So uh, it, it's, it's extraordinarily strong. It's an incredible time to be in the space. Um, 
you know, I think if you look more globally, though, Europe is a little bit more challenging than certainly other regions and other uh, other geographies. But Europe, Europe always has this sort of different dynamic with venture. It does not have the venture ecosystem uh, that we have here in the states. Um, there's there's a lot of challenges for funding and sophistication, not just of the investor base, but also. Uh, also, to some degree, of the entrepreneurs um, who have just not, you know, not seen or not been uh, aware of, of, you know, how it works. For example, here um, and, uh, and and the accessibility to funding and, and so forth. So th that is a little bit different for us. Uh, it actually creates a great opportunity because we do see uh, plenty of opportunities in Europe, and and um, you know I think from a valuation point of view, it's still uh, still certainly attractive there as as well as here. But I I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit more. Sounds good. Thanks, Daniela. All right, Steve. What about from your perspective? Yeah, I echo a lot of what Daniela said. Um, you know, these times, the last year and a half, have been tough and trying times for a lot of people. For you know, issues of health and safety and livelihood and, and all of that. Um, but it's also just created a tremendous moment for innovators. Um, so all the challenges that we face, whether they be in healthcare, um, but a lot of the, you know, we're educating, you know, online, we're, we're working online, um, we're, you know, doing our banking online. So, all of these challenges presented tremendous opportunities for, as I said, for innovators. And really, I think most people see that we've kind of accelerated in many ways, trends that were already uh, nascent, but, but really accelerated through the last year and a half. Um, as Daniela said, I think people generally hit the pause button in Q2 of last year when COVID first hit. So investors held back, uh, um, entrepreneurs were holding back a little bit on spend, customers were holding back. So there was definitely a, a, a slowdown there, but it, it came roaring back in Q3. And again, as Danielle said, 2020 was a record year for investing. Um, I think there was enough government support, uh, everything from you know, the Federal Reserve and, and the financial system down to in the banking system, down to the PPP loans and other state and local support. So, um, you know, entrepreneurs found, you know, themselves pretty well supported and, and investors kind of got back into action, you know, figuring out how to invest without being able to spend as much time in person uh, with entrepreneurs. For me, I'd say I found that this last year and a half to be one of the most efficient times or productive times in my investing life. Um, I got back hours a day of commute time and kind of time in between meetings. And, you know, I, I sat at home on Zoom from, you know, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And uh, not only did I get to spend more time with entrepreneurs that way, but I found it a much more productive way to do due diligence because to try to reach people or have experts in my network or corporate partners in my network talk to entrepreneurs, that might have been very hard to schedule when people are traveling. But when everyone's sitting at home on Zoom, I could put a Zoom meeting together and have great introductions and, and due diligence or, or support business development. So that worked really well. And it's true that, um, as Daniela said, we had some things in the pipeline where we'd spent time in person before we got into COVID and we kind of followed through. Um, but, you know, six months later, um, you know, when I'd been, talking to someone on Zoom for six months, I'd forgotten the fact that I'd never met them in person. So we ended up doing a couple of deals where we actually never met the entrepreneurs in person. Um, and then, um, and it's really been every sector, you know, FinTech, crypto, IT, security, you know, every sector seen tremendous um, growth of, uh, of investment and entrepreneurship. And, uh, you know, and I think a lot of states and regions, municipalities, and this has been a couple of years in the coming, but I think it's, you know, maybe also accelerated in the last year and a half, has really seen the entrepreneurial economy as a driver of economic growth. And so there's been a lot more support 
um, at the state level and municipal level for startups than there used to be. So that's really helped. And well, let's speak to that. And just a reminder for everyone on this uh, Zoom chat, you can submit your questions. I'll take them in about 15 minutes uh, and we'll ask Danielle and Steve uh, those questions. So regarding the, the local environment, um, clearly there was some good news this week with you know, Sean O'Sullivan's SOSV and, and HACS announcing an accelerator in Newark um, for hardware. And then they also have IndieBio in the city, Penn Station or in that area. Um, that's all good news, right? How do you guys see that, um, that announcement as far as uh, justification and sort of uh, how does that uh, pretend for the future? I think it'd be interesting what Danielle says about the sectors he focused on, but I, I'd say generally, there's been a tremendous growth of uh, you know, accelerators, incubators, you know, kind of out of style now as a term, but accelerators and venture studios and other uh, you know, organizations that are trying to create and nurture very early stage startups. I think that's a sign of the innovation that's going on and the interests of both. I mean, a lot of these have some government support or university support. So the interest in nurturing, you know, early stage venture uh, among those folks. And there's also, uh, we might talk some more about this, but there's just been a tremendous increase in people call it either crossover investors or non-traditional investors coming into the venture market. So around the you know the accelerators and incubators, a lot of family offices, a lot of high net worths, um, you know, sort of a growing number of very early stage, you know, pre, they call them pre-seed now uh, in front of seed investors. Uh, so I think those are all great signs of, um, you know, the support for this kind of early innovation that HACS and SOSV represent. And I think in those announcements, you also see the tremendous support that they got from the state um, and, and what the state's trying to do here to nurture innovators and support, provide support. Great. Daniela? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd agree. It's, it's an important part of the ecosystem. Um, you know, I think for for our specific sector or subsector, if you will, um, it's it's pretty niche. And so what we find is that most of the entrepreneurs in life science industrials, um, for example, are are funded by friends and colleagues and and uh, you know peers and and possibly you know sort of smaller angels that they know to get underway for that pre-seed. Um, at least historically, there's been a pretty significant funding gap. Um, in, in our space, uh, which, is, which is changing now, which is great. Uh, but you know, those accelerators, incubators, uh, what, what have you, they, they certainly serve uh, an important purpose. I think sometimes, um, you know, sometimes it's important to think as also as an entrepreneur, what are you, what are you looking to raise? You know, what, what are you looking to get out of your raise? Uh, and essentially, are you looking for that level of support? Is that really support? Is it going to be more cumbersome for you uh, going down going down the line? And we've seen, I, I guess we've seen a mix of, of great accelerators, incubators, and, and maybe some that maybe, maybe fall a little shy of expectations. So um, no comment as to SOSB, and, and, and I'm sure that they'll, they'll, they'll make it a great uh, uh, a great system for those entrepreneurs, but sometimes those can be pretty cum cumbersome. Uh, and it, it just really depends on what you're looking for as an entrepreneur. You know, are you looking for the support? Are you looking for just capital, just a check to get you underway? Are you looking for a really knowledgeable investor in your, in your sector? Uh, and I think for us, uh, we're, we're often, you know, making our case as a differentiated investor, right? We're, we're the smart money we know the space, we know the strategics. Uh, and I think Steve's got kind of a similar uh, slant to, to that as well. Uh, but but that's that's an important distinction for entrepreneurs to make. Yeah, I mean, I think those are all great, great parts of the ecosystem. I mean, our model is we're a small partnership in terms of people. Um, we put a lot of time and energy and, and bring our network to help the companies that we work with. So we're not you know, spreading our fund across lots and lots of, of deals in small increments. We're trying to pick, you know, a few companies that we're really excited about and we really want to work with and, and help support. 
So we pay attention to all these accelerators and incubators, and we see some great things coming out of them. But for you know a demo day of 15 or 20 companies, we might follow up on a few and maybe one gets an investment. So, Sure. So let's go back, Steve, to what you mentioned about the use of Zoom, right? So obviously very productive, a lot of people on Zoom, uh, equalization in many ways. But going forward, how do you see, how do both of you see sort of that, um, that structure uh, easing or are you, are you still going to meet with um, entrepreneurs in person if you can, or what's the mix? We're going to a hybrid, obviously, everything's going hybrid, right? So what, but what do you think it'll look like, let's just say one year from now, hopefully, let's assume COVID is pretty much behind us, we're free to meet with anyone we want um, without terrible fa- fear. What, what, what do you think will be the mix of, of virtual and, uh, and in-person interactions? Yeah, I think it's gonna be, depend a lot on the leadership and culture of the companies that are out there speaking generally. I think for us, you know, we're a very small team. We know each other well. We were already spending a lot of our time on the road out visiting with entrepreneurs. So we got out of our office at the beginning of COVID. I don't think we will have a physical office again. Uh, It works well for us to be, um, you know, based in our homes and and on Zoom uh, from that perspective. Um, But, you know, we are starting to... Uh, meet people informally. We tend to meet in coffee shops or restaurants rather than offices, uh, but we may we may get back to that, uh, you know, more in the, over the next year. Um, certainly, I see a lot of companies trying to figure out, you know, what the right mix is and thinking about hybrid and what's the right hybrid. And the last thing I'll comment on is, I do see. I guess this is where sort of the biggest question on my mind is, is I do see entrepreneurial teams that have gone pretty, um, uh, you know, everybody's in their own location. And there was a little bit of that, you know, going on for years, but, but now there's startup teams where nobody's in the same location. And a startup situation where you have a small team, you're really trying to find your way, you're, you're working hard together to, figure things out. Everybody's kind of doing, you know, sharing jobs. I do see challenges in that. So it, I do kind of spend a little time thinking about when I look at entrepreneurial teams, you know, is there enough co-location, enough togetherness to think they're really going to work well as a team uh, versus kind of being very uh, dispersed in their, in their location. Good insights. Daniela? Yeah, agree, agree uh, wholeheartedly with uh, with Steve's assessment. I, I think we've seen, you know, we often see um, entrepreneurs and, and teams that uh, sometimes are dispersed and geographically spread out. And on top of it, maybe they haven't worked together um, very long. And so that's that's usually a um, that's usually a red flag for us uh, because it's it's really hard to be in that kind of environment and and iterating on you know, a technology, a business model, uh, how, how to really go to market and, and you're, all, you're all spread out and, and haven't been really um, together for any period of time. So I think sometimes you can, you can apply a caveat and say, well, if they've worked together, you know, in their former life, but now they're geographically dispersed, you know, they, they probably have a good enough relationship that they've built up and, and that can um, bring to bear on, on this opportunity, but it's, it's usually applied for us. Um, you know, in terms of just thinking about Zoom and the balance of in-person, um, certainly for us, we we like uh, and we use and leverage uh, the, the the video conferencing as much as possible. Um, there's no substitute to being in person, and and so we we really have recognized that. But I think it's making us, as as Steve said, uh, a lot more efficient, right? Because we can do the initial introductory meeting, we can make the assessment, we can do even early due diligence and, and get to the point where we're comfortable around the team and the technology, and then sort of move to meet in person. Um, for us, actually, this week marks um, marks a pretty big milestone. It's our, our team is in Boston uh, for, uh, for a pretty substantial life sciences conference that's quasi-virtual and quasi-digital. 
Um, it's it's a little bit frustrating that it's it's a it's, it's a mix, but um, you know that that's kind of marking uh, the first major conference uh, in our in our sector, and um, we're we're hoping uh, obviously all the COVID pro protocols are are being uh, honored and and so forth. But it's um, it's an important you know sort of back to somewhat a norm uh, for for us, but I think certainly will make use of, of Zoom. It's great to be able to, to meet people virtually and, and just get a sense, well, you know, does this fit our investment thesis? Does the opportunity fit our, uh, our strategy? Um, is it too early for us? It, you know, is it the right time? And then we can always sort of, you know, dive in more in person. Uh, but I, I, I see a return to that and, and hoping uh, for a consistent return to that. Yeah, amen. So, what about in your investment outlooks for the next, for the rest of the year and then next year? Are we are you confident it's going to be at a sustained high level, or do you see bumps ahead? I know this is crystal ballish, but what what are you what are you guys seeing uh, going forward? Yeah, I mean, I guess the uh, you know the biggest concern we have. I mean, generally, you know, innovations, you know, moving along great. Corporates are really interested. Um, you know, I think as we get to the sort of winding down or moving past or whatever you want to call it with the pandemic, uh, you know, I think we'll see a more robust economy in general. Um, so that all bodes well. And then on the other side of it, um, you know, you see it with the public stock market to begin with, and it flows down to venture. Uh, valuations have, you know, a lot of money's come into the, the market and valuations have uh, really increased. And so we are trying to be value buyers as much as you can be in this market. Uh, it's tough to do that in this market. Um, and, um, you know, you look at the stock market today, you don't know when there's going to be a little crack that, uh, you know, might send us into a little bit of a longer uh, you know, slowdown period, but certainly the momentum has been tremendous and it's tough to go against it right now. Daniela, how do you, how do you see things uh, domestically and globally? And, uh, yeah. And I think um, I would also echo um, what Steve said uh, yeah, when, when we, um, when we, when I started thinking about, you know, the topics for today, valuations is, is a key um, key concern, right? And I, I think it's it's hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Uh, a little bit from an investor point of view, we are um, certainly observing those valuations uh, more so in the domestic and and more so obviously in in the um, public markets. Um, translating to actually higher multiples on exits. Which is which is great directionally for uh, for investors like ourselves um, and for the entrepreneurs too, uh, as long as that translates into a great exit for for those seeking one. Um, I think the concern and it's a natural you know natural uh, concern and just cause for being aware that you know there could be uh, a constriction that happens. Um, down the road and we don't have a crystal ball we don't know when that might be but certainly. You know, both Steve and I have um, have a number of, of years experience in riding through those uh, those scenarios uh, and and how that translates into you know the industries that we invest in. So you know, while we could expect a contraction, for example, in in the coming years, uh, both on the multiple front and uh, and on the valuation front, you know, I think honestly, and and when we look to specifically our sector and life science industrials, there still is a very very strong appetite and you know an investment case to be made for for the sector. Uh, we see the strength of the um, certainly the strength of the strategics has never been uh, so high as it has as it is today. But even pre-COVID, you know, it was a healthy market. It's a very robust. Um, sector and you know, that translates into into value oftentimes. So I, I think even if we do see a contraction, uh, it, it would be short lived. Uh, there would be a return to you know some reasonable state of multiple, not today's multiples, uh, but uh, but we would we would certainly see that in the long run. So you know I think we're just being very um, rigorous uh, and 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 uh, sort of controlled about the investments that we make and. 
if if we are looking at that might you know that that might not pass the red face test and say wow this is a this is a strong valuation and, and maybe it's not called for uh, but equally so there's a ton of uh, companies out there that are doing really groundbreaking um, innovation in our space and and rewarded with uh, with I think great valuations and, and great rounds and and uh, investors that are leading those rounds and, and really committed to them. Yeah, I'll just add two more themes in that mix. Uh, you know, one on the positive side, as I said earlier, there's just been tremendous momentum in general, but you know, from a technology point of view, you know that the advances in cloud computing, in data analytics and artificial intelligence, technologies for automation, IoT, um, there's just um, a tremendous amount of change happening in every sector um, driven by all those technologies. So we're gonna ride that for quite some time, I think, on the positive side. Um, and then the other comment, which is a little bit orthogonal, but uh, one thing that's been really interesting in the last couple of years is for, for a few decades, exits generally in the venture market were kind of 80% M&A, 20% IPO. And the last couple of years, that's been flipped. And exits have been about 80% IPO and 20% M&A. So... Uh, on the IPO side, the very healthy stock market, as well as what happened with SPACs, um, drove a lot of that. So it'll be very interesting to watch what happens in the public markets over the next few years. And then in the private markets, you know, these big companies, as Daniela was saying, are still, you know, very healthy and growing and, and looking for, for continuing drivers of growth. But there's also, you know, regulatory issues around antitrust, around uh, foreign influence, um, and other things that could be, you know, could impede the uh, the M and A side. So there's definitely things there that were a, a little risk on the the exit side in the future. I think. Right. What about uh, for entrepreneurs who are listening in? What do you um, what are you recommending to them in general? I think in the early days, I mean, there's a ton of money going at later stage companies once you're starting to show some ramp. But for the early stage companies, you know, be lean and mean and be very focused on creating your early traction and show a little bit of early momentum and raise money that, um, you know, you can point to exactly what milestones you're out to achieve with that money. So I think that clear focus early on. And then later you get to those BCD rounds where you're you're ramping and you're showing growth and you're going to attract a lot of capital. Got it. So you would that that's the advice is the same where wherever we are is what you're saying right now. Even though there's a lot of money, still have your ducks in order, prepare properly, and and still be lean and mean. Right. Well, no I'm rush. Saying, I think in the early stages, um, you know, there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of lookers. But, uh, you know, people want to see traction and it's going to be tough to raise if, you know, you, you're going to want to bootstrap or find friends and family, find ways to show that early traction um, that will attract later money that will support growth. So I think even though we're seeing a lot of money going into later stage and buying into, you know, the growth and momentum in the market right now, at an early stage, you still have to prove yourself and people are, you know, using some stronger filters around that early, you know, in the early days. Got it. And also there's just, you know, you, you sort of have to work a little harder to stand out from the noise because there's so many accelerators, venture fairs, venture studios. And frankly, with Zoom, I could, I could watch two or three demo days a day and kind of try to figure out, you know, which of a few companies I want to follow up on out of the 50 or 60 I might look at in a week. Got it. Daniela? I, I mean, I, I agree with Steve. I, I think another um, consideration for entrepreneurs is is really preparation, and preparation means a lot of <laughs> from a lot of angles. I would say, you know, from from your own business uh, perspective, spend less time on the pitch, spend more time making a great business, and and that'll that'll really translate very readily to people like Steve and myself. Um, you know, when when you you've got 
the answers of the questions you've thought through, or at least those are, are things that you've thought about. You may not have the answers, but you've, you've given it thought. Um, that, that shows in spades and it doesn't necessarily, you know, need to be a very slick kind of pitch, right? Um, so that, that's, um, that's important. Um, the preparation as well, I think, goes to knowing, knowing the investor that you're talking to, right? So the initial call, you may not have the full background on, on what Steve does or what, what we do at Dynamic, um, but, you know, understanding the types of deals that we do, uh, the, the sweet spot for us, um, getting an understanding that that really helps a lot because then you're not, you as an entrepreneur, you're not wasting your time with folks that, you know, maybe this would be too early for them or, um, you know, they, they just don't do seed or pre-seed and they, they just don't do that sort of investing, right? Um, it's not in their, in their thesis. Um, so don't take that personally. It's just part of their thesis that they've come up with and, and they're not going to make an exception um usually right uh so so it would have to be really um really key so i think you know doing doing that work and then maybe to the point that um i mentioned earlier about understanding what you want out of your investor base what type of investor are you looking to secure are you looking just for a check and somebody who's gonna stand for the most part are you looking for someone who you know, is really engaged and hands-on and supportive in terms of network. Um, as, as Steve mentioned, are you looking for uh, for for really someone who's who's going to be part of your growth story and and get more heavily involved? So I think that that understanding of yourself, that self-awareness as well, um, yourself, your partners, just to understand what what you're looking for is is really key. Great. So before we get to questions, I just want to ask one um, question to both of you. You know, one takeaway from this conversation for entrepreneurs, you know, as they're, you know, one thing, uh, as Steve mentioned, there's a lot of M&A going on, right? So they can go in two directions, either M&A or, or raise more capital. So as for those entrepreneurs who have that, who are fortunate enough to have those options uh, with, with acquirers coming into the fold, what one thing do you think they should consider um, as they um, think about which direction to take? Well, I'd say there's a few entrepreneurs that build things for other people, thinking M&A in mind. But I think most entrepreneurs, you know, want to change the world in some way and want to build a big standalone successful company. So, you know, have a big vision and go after it. Great. Thank you. Daniela? Yeah, I, you know, maybe I'll just be devil's advocate there. I think, uh, I, I think don't, don't, uh, don't close yourself off to a great opportunity. Uh, you know, you want to change your world and you, you by, by right, uh, you're on your way to doing it. Um, M&A can be a really attractive exit and can allow you to go and do other things. Uh, you may have other things that you want to, <laughs> you want to work on uh, beyond, beyond what you're doing. So um, yeah, I would just say keep an open mind, um, but but also maybe do the soul searching of what your ideal uh, is, and and have that a little bit a little bit in mind. Um, you know, it it does take a, a different level of team experience in order to make for a successful IPO, uh, and so that's a it's a markedly different path, and you kind of have to. You know, you kind of have to get your ducks in a row uh, to to go that path. Whereas M and A, little a little easier, um, a, a little bit more attainable, if you will, and especially if you've got a, a product that's in demand in, in the market, customers. Thanks, Daniel. Well, and and let's just uh, while we wait for questions, let's dive into that. You sold your company, so if an offer comes from a big company like GE or, or someone else, what, what should an entrepreneur do? Uh, what would be sort of the, the three things they should do next? Wow, so presumably- um, <laughs> Tell they're bored. <laughs> What's that, Steve? Tell they're bored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> presumably you will have, uh, you will have a relationship. It, it's, it's usually not uh, coming unsolicited, right? Uh, so presumably you will have had a relationship and, and, and the board is, is kind of aware this was coming. So yeah, alert the board. <laughs> um, 
Definitely. And I, I think uh, that's, that's maybe a key, you know, it's maybe actually worth spending a little time on that one because um, entrepreneurs, I think sometimes um, depending on experience and depending on, on what they've done before, um, you know, sometimes feel like the board is, is the last to know. It's really important that the board is, is your, is there to be, you know, your source of guidance and, and, um, you know, can be a wealth of knowledge, particularly if you have board members who are in the space, in the sector, know the transaction multiples <laughs> of what's going on in, in the sector. So I think, you know, ultimately, if you're if you're even entertaining those conversations, um, you should definitely have a network of bankers or transactional M&A specialists that you can call on and understand, you know, where is the sector and where are the multiples today and what are the transactions and keep an eye on those because, you know, you could get something and you don't want to comment uh, on, on, on what, what is in front of you, what's been handed to you, um, without knowing, you know, really where you stand. So, uh, do, do the homework, have that, have that back of mind. Um, I think you really have to also understand the risk versus reward. So depending on the offer and, and where that comes in and where, you know, what it means for yourself, what it means for investors, what it means for your employees and your team, um, you know, is it compelling? Does it take a lot of risk off the table for you? Uh, or is it premature and, and you really should be growing to the next milestone before considering uh, that exit? But presumably, uh, you should be having those conversations with your board uh, on, on an active basis. Got it. Now, Steve, you can touch and on I, that if you want. Um, yeah, I would just say, I mean, sometimes these things, I mean, first of all, it's tremendous that you attracted an offer for something that you built. So, that that's a little celebration is worthwhile and, and deserved. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's, you know, that offer is unsolicited and it sort of comes in over the transom and, you know, that's sort of puts you down one train of thought. And sometimes you're out looking for an offer and you're out talking to people and, you know, that sort of takes you down a different sort of process and path. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, as you know, venture investors, we're looking for big returns um, and we don't want to sell too early, um, which are mistakes people sometimes make. And people also make mistakes trying to sell too late and, and passing over good offers. So mistakes have been made on both sides of that. So there's a pretty you know, full discussion and thought process around, is this the right time? And you know, that's about, a, about value, about where you think you're going on your own about team and team needs. I will say that these days relative to the past, venture investors are much more open to uh, supporting entrepreneurs in growing bigger uh, successes in terms of you know, finding ways to let them take some cash off the table on the way so that in entrepreneurs aren't selling too early because you know, they wanna put some, you know, that first, you know, cash in their pockets. So I think there's, you know, certainly motivation to, you know, go for the sort of the gold ring. Um, and then, you know, then you got to figure out, uh, you know, what's the right time. And then there's lots to think about the tactics of negotiation and terms and, you know, holdbacks and all kinds of things in deals that, you know, use your board, you know, get yourself good counsel, you know, maybe use a banker um, to, to sort of think through and work the process. While we're on this topic, Steve, what's your gut say about SPACs? Are they here to stay or are they, or their time has passed or how do you see SPACs going forward? Uh, I think they're here to stay in some respects. And I think we've been through a hype cycle. So um, I guess the answer is both. So Steve, what are your thoughts on the current and future valuations of tech companies? Um, well, like we've talked about a couple of times here, I think valuations are high. They're, they've sort of never been higher. And, uh, but, you know, just, you know, if you're a technical trader, the momentum's really favorable right now. 
and for you know reasons we talked about in terms of sector and technologies and and you know opening up economies there's plenty of fundamental reasons to be optimistic so um you know we're all a little bit nervous about valuations at this point but you know i think the 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 optimism and and positive um indicators are, are still pretty strong and Danielle, you you think the same thing in your your industry is that right is that what i heard you before say yeah certainly um from a valuation perspective trending um trends certainly high uh at the moment in, in terms of exits and, and ipos uh also m a uh it's it's definitely on the higher end um uh if, if you look back a couple of decades uh it's, it's definitely its highest point um at the same time it hasn't hasn't completely translated into venture rounds uh, yet. We're, we're definitely seeing that, I think, in, in terms of some of, the, um, some of the later stage or the larger rounds, uh, but for the most part, uh, the Series A, uh, Series B, even, even seed rounds are, are, are high, but not astronomical. So um, has not converted uh, entirely into those venture rounds, but we, we are, we are uh, cognizant of that and, and sensitive to it. Thank you. Here's another question about Theranos. What do you guys think about the Theranos uh, saga and Elizabeth Holmes? How did this happen? You can both take it. You can take it, Daniela, from a life sciences. Steve, you can take it from your Silicon Valley background. Yeah, I think, um, uh, well, a few things. I mean, first of all, you know, every, every, I'll <laughs> to give, Elizabeth, some credit, uh, you know, every entrepreneur sort of lives on this line of, you know, promise versus, you know, delivery. And so, you know, they were promising some big things that they, they didn't deliver in the end. Um, we'll let the courts decide whether, you know, there was some fraud in there or she was just, you know, out of ahead of her headlights a little bit. So it's hard to say, I'd say, but the other thing I'd say is certainly in, you know, by whatever force of personality and ability to tell a great story and you know strength of the mission, she attracted a lot of people, a lot of money from people who weren't really experts in what they were doing. So she didn't have any uh, really hardcore uh, life science investors in her or medical device investors in her deal. Uh, she had a lot of people that were sort of non-traditional or crossover investors. She didn't have any corporate strategics in Theranos. So the smart money wasn't in that deal. It was, it was, you know, money that was coming from people that were attracted by the story and the personality and all of that. So, you know, it's a good sort of warning to, you know, others that follow in that sense. Got it. Daniela? I, I, uh, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I, I think on her board, she did not have right, uh, any, any representation there. Um, she, although I believe Theranos did have one um, peripheral strategic, if you will, uh, sort of involved. And, and um, that ultimately, I, I think it, you know, look, it's an example of um, maybe maybe hubris, maybe too much um, self-confidence and, and pride. Um, I think it was a real, uh, you know, a real shame because I think the, the concept and, you know, the idea uh, of what they were trying to do was, was incredible and, and really, um, really could have changed um, the industry. I think it also served a really big disservice to life sciences too um, in that, you know, we do see other <laughs> other opportunities uh, that are sort of uh, Theranos-ish, right? In terms of what they're looking to provide or or supply or the innovation that they're trying to bring, and um, you know, you're you're always now uh, really thinking twice about and and doing additional uh, level of diligence on on those um, you know performance criteria and what what people are showing you. Uh, I, I think that this, if you if you've read um, Bad Blood, the example of the of the test that was run and the you know the shagans allegedly uh, <laughs> that were uh, the, the test results were sort of manipulated and, and presented on screen, um, just just really 
really terrible. Um, it, and, it, and it really, it, it drives a, a stake in, into, um, into life sciences. And, and, you know, so I, I agree wholeheartedly with, um, with Steve and, and the need for technical expertise and depth and, you know, people that, you know, surrounding yourself with people who are gonna challenge you and not just uh, agree and go along for the ride. I think that's a great example for, for entrepreneurs to really, you know, build yourself um, a board of directors, a personal board of directors even, that is going to challenge you and, and give you guidance and tell you when you're wrong and, and tell you when to think twice um, and, and, and really just, uh, just ensure that you have that challenge because uh, it, it, it can be, uh, I guess, easy to fall into that trap, but it's, it's still, you know, upsetting. The one other comment I'll make about Theranos is I have watched and, you know, been involved with the development of the corporate venture ecosystem over the last 20 years. And um, it's really grown tremendously. Uh, most, if not, you know, almost all large companies do some direct venture investing and have venture arms. And Theranos, um, as I observed it, was one of the steps along the way that shifted the relationship uh, between the corporates and the, the VCs, the traditional financial VCs, because the corporates, a lot of them took it as with a view that, um, you know, that the VCs didn't bring the appropriate diligence and, and insight to that deal that the corporates would have had they been involved. So I think it was, you know, very interesting. It was sort of noted that way by a lot of corporates I've talked to. And I'll just say to entrepreneurs, you know, there is such a strength now in the corporate venture ecosystem. Um, you know, definitely there's a little bit of a, you know, two-edged sword to partnering with corporates, but I'm a big believer in the value that they can bring in the right kind of partnership as investors. So if you've got a proposition that you think is of value to a corporate investor, you know, definitely worth chasing. Yeah, no, th th those are great insights. And I'll just highlight one of the comments Daniela made have a, a separate personal board in addition to your formal board of directors. That's really important to give advice to entrepreneurs, particularly as they face these, these obstacles as they grow their companies. Anyway, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank Daniela. I want to thank Steve. This, is, this has been really great. Thanks for coming on today and sharing your insights. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.